Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. All right, well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. We've been in this for uh, about four weeks now, five weeks, and we're going to keep going on this series. Uh, I'm going to finish up the first uh, part one of this momentum series. I've been talking about how to generate uh, spiritual momentum in your life, and we've been really studying one verse, Acts chapter 2, uh, 42 in the scripture. And what we've been looking at is really trying to understand when this, uh, the people of God in Acts, the book of Acts experienced a mighty move of God, how did the church, the, the blueprint for our church, if you say, Ryan, what is your church all about? Well, just read Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, and that'll tell you that's exactly what we're trying to accomplish uh, is the things written in that scripture. Um, and what we're trying to do is understand in the scripture, how did they keep the spiritual momentum going in their lives? And in their church, after God moved mightily, the, the, the momentum continued to move in the church. It moved forward. And momentum is basically a mass or a group of people or an object moving in a specific direction. And the thing about momentum is that momentum can go forward or it can go backwards. And the thing about momentum is that once momentum starts, it's hard to stop it. And that's why it's important that you and I gain momentum in the right direction, because what happens is, is that as many people in their spiritual walk with God and their journey with Christ, they have some momentum in their life and the momentum begins to slow and they find themselves at a standstill and instead of generating momentum in the right direction, they either build their lives on the standstill, on the static, on the, the, the still waters of life and you build your life, and I call that religion, you build your life on this kind of stale place, there's no momentum, there's no forward momentum or sadly, many of us find our momentum going backwards and it's hard to stop the momentum once it starts to go backwards. So my heart and my prayer is that we will generate spiritual momentum in the right direction. And the beautiful part is, is that we actually find in Scripture how these people, how these followers of Jesus who experienced tremendous persecution, they had their things stolen, they were ripped out of their homes, they were murdered for their faith, they were on the run, they were caused to run from their homes. Many of us have not experienced that reality here in North America. These people had we run out of their homes for their confession in Jesus, of Jesus Christ. They were being persecuted because they confessed that Christ was Lord, and they went to church on Sunday, and they went to a group during the week. They were being persecuted because they were engaged in the house of God, and so these people generated incredible spiritual momentum in their life where they were seeing miracles and signs and wonders and financial provisions. There wasn't a single need in the entire church. There was community, and people cared for one another, and people were finding Christ, and disciples were being made, and marriages were being restored, and they were reaching the people around them. And you say, how do they continue to do that? Literally for 2,000 years, we've seen the church have momentum in the right direction. Well, here in this scripture, we learn very, very clearly exactly what that is. We learn what it takes to develop spiritual momentum. Next month and the month after that, we're going to talk about what are the results of this spiritual momentum. Once the spiritual momentum starts to generate in our lives, oh, it's dark, it's awesome, I can see, whoa, there, I see a light. Mm. Once we start to generate spiritual momentum in our life, there'll be some results, and we're going to start talking about those results, that, that the, the outcome of the momentum in your life, and my, my wife's an amazing communicator, and she's going to preach next week as she talks about something very important, then I'm going to continue to take the rest of the series 
as we jump into this. So if you have your, your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. It's also going to be behind me. But uh, we see here, as you remember, these men and women gathered together uh, uh, on the upper room uh, after Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. He was crucified. He was buried, rose on the third day for 40 days, he, 50 days. He visited over 500 people. It's one of the most historically proven facts that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Over 500 different uh, witness accounts that this man that was once dead is now alive. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And now these 120 or so disciples are left alone and they're, all he's told to do is to wait. They go up in the upper room and they're, the church, now we're in the, the lower room and so in the lower room and they're praying and they're worshiping and all of a sudden, as you know, the Holy Spirit came down and it says like a mighty rushing wind and tongues of, like tongues of fire, not tongues of fire, but like tongues of fire, like a mighty rushing wind. It sounded like, it seemed like, came in the room and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages and these languages were representative of every nation that was represented that that day when over 900,000 Jewish people had gathered for the day of Pentecost, they were hearing God, God being declared that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he loves you, that he came to die for you, and that he wants to have a relationship with you so that you will spend an eternity with Jesus Christ when you die. Not if you die, when you die. And he began to declare these things. The Bible says that out of 900,000 people, 3,000 heard the message and they said in the scripture, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? His response was simple. He said, each of you must repent of your sins. I know we don't like that word in church anymore, repent, but it's a word you do use. Repent, it means to turn away from your sin, to reject your old way of life to reject the ways to think and the ways to act and say, I'm no longer going my way. I am going God's way. And look at this. He says, instantly turn to God and be water baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you'll receive, amen, the gift of the Holy Spirit. This isn't just for you. This is for your family and your family's family, family, family. It will change your generations. And so we see in the scripture this incredible thing happened. Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, wasn't a disciple. He had never met Jesus. The way he gathered all the information for the book of Acts was he interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people to try to understand what this encounter with Jesus was. Think about that. Luke never met Jesus. He wasn't a disciple. He gathered information, interviewed information. All these people gathered together, and he interviewed all of them to understand what happened. And it sounds, seems like all of the different individuals that were there that day identifying what happened in the book of Acts, Luke wrote down one single verse to identify what generated the spiritual momentum in the church in their life. Only one verse to identify what it took to generate the spiritual momentum in your church and in your life. And this is what he said in the scripture. And those who believe what Peter had said were baptized and added to the church that day. Who were they added? Where were they added? To the what? To the ecclesia. And it says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Talked about that a few weeks ago. Remember the apostles' teaching? They didn't have the New Testament. All they had was the firsthand account from the apostles. And so they were actually learning directly from word of mouth about what Jesus was and who Jesus was. And so they studied Jesus. And when you and I read the Bible, we're studying Jesus. We're not just reading a text, a manuscript, or an ancient writings. We're reading Jesus, studying Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the truth. So when you read the word, you're reading truth. 
Be the only truth. And then Andrew last week talked about fellowship, koinonia, and sharing in meals. This is the same word used to identify intimacy. It talks about community, doing life together, being together, doing life together, not because you have the same things in common, not because you like each other even, only for one reason. We have Jesus in common. I love to fly fish. I love fly fishing, and there's not many people who do here, and I pray for revival in our church. (laughs) Other than my friend back here, thank you, sir. He is my my Yoda. I don't hang out with you because we have a lot in common. I hang out with you because of Jesus. I don't go to a group because I have things in common with these people. I go to a group because I'm communicating with Jesus with them in communion and relationship. And now lastly here, which I actually wasn't going to preach on, and, and I knew Bassie would have scolded me, so <laughs> just kidding. All the believers devoted themselves to prayer. Now, I want you to notice something. What's the very first word? You guys, you can see it. Right? Not trick. The. <laughs> oh. This was not a matter of debate. This wasn't up for opinion. This wasn't up for theological dissection. All. If you were added to the church, you were devoted to the word, you were devoted to uh, fellowship, which we call groups, and you were devoted to prayer. If you were a believer, that was it. If you were joined, added to the church, and you didn't do those things, the believers will look at you and say, aren't you a believer? All the believers. And notice the word devoted. The word devoted here, as we mentioned almost every week, was that the word devoted means to fully immerse yourself in or fully embrace something and never quit. It means to constantly and consistently give your full attention to something. To keep on going and be faithfully committed to something no matter the cost. To addict yourself to something. Literally, this is the Greek definition. To make a habit of abandoning yourself to something almost obsessively. That's the word devotion that Luke chose to use. And notice the last word here, themselves. So every believer had to make a conscious decision to literally habitually addict themselves. And guess what? It was a personal decision that each person made. It wasn't a decision based upon my emotion. It wasn't a decision based upon my experience. It wasn't a decision based upon the atmosphere. It was a personal decision that I made that as a follower of Jesus Christ, I am going to commit myself to these things. It's a personal decision that every believer makes. And one of the greatest challenges we face with North American Christianity is that somewhere along the way, we started believing that we have a choice in the matter as Christians, to not devote ourselves to these things. It's a commitment you have to make, even though you've been hurt, even though you've been burned, even though you gave your life to it and it fizzled out. It's a commitment you have to choose to make and say, you know what? I'm going to make this a rhythm in my life no matter what. Why? Because this is how you generate spiritual momentum in your life. And as I mentioned, the three things, the word of God, which you can go back and listen, community last week, you can listen. And here we go. We'll talk about the last thing that Dr. Luke decided to articulate in his thing was prayers. Now, I want to kind of help you understand what this word means. It'd be very, very easy for us to look at this word and move right by it, thinking you already understand what it means. But this word is an interesting word. It's actually the Greek word. It's used 127 times in the New Testament. This is really driving me crazy. Wow. I, I, every few seconds, if I like, do a little twitchy, it's just because I'm literally trying to push through this. Have you ever had that? It's like a twitch, you know? I should probably stop talking about it. I was going to be like, why'd you go off on that for so long? <laughs> She's like, you have a problem. Okay, back to my message. Sorry. 
Dr. Luke is articulating something in this scripture. Prayer. This word is a Greek word, a compound word, which is pros and pros and UK. Say UK. So this compound word is two separate words, and I want to help you understand this word. The word pros means toward. It's a, it's a, the word has a sense of closeness. The, uh, the, the writer, John, led by the Holy Spirit, used this word pros or, or this, this word to articulate the relationship between the Godhead. And he said this in John chapter 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with. That word worth is pros. It's taken from this word prayer. It's the word with God. There was a community. There was a connection. There was an intimacy. There was a closeness. Paul uses it later in the book of Ephesians, and look what he says in verse 12, chapter 6, for we are not fighting against pros flesh and blood enemies, but against pros evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. He's saying that we are fighting against. There is a close proximity. There is a, there is a conflict. There is a connection there where we are constantly fighting with the spiritual forces of darkness. This word pros is the word of connection, closeness, intimacy. The other compound word we have here is an old Greek word which describes the idea of a wish or a desire. It's the speaking of a vow. Now, remember, uh, they're, they're speaking to Jews, but these Jews are living in a Greek culture. And these Jews are understanding something that when they use the word prayer, they're verbalizing an action that most people would do when they were praying to their deity or praying to their God. They would build an altar. It was a big deal. It was grandiose. It was large. When they were going to pray to their God, they would, bring a, an, they would build an altar. They would bring a sacrifice, which cost them something. And they would begin to build this altar. And that, that second form of that word is like they would almost make this sacrifice they would make this, this vow to, the, to their God as a way of saying, okay, I have a need in my life. I'm going to make a sacrifice to you so that you will answer my prayer. So if you answer my prayer, I will do this. We see the same, remember Hannah. Hannah prayed, God, give me a child. Remember Hannah said, hey, God, if you give me a child, I will return him to your service. Remember Hannah had a child and returned Samuel back into service. So this is a picture of, of, of this word. The second compound word used here is that it's a person who was in need of something from their deity and they would do something which cost them to engage this deity. They would, they would sacrifice. They would surrender. This word demands surrender. This word demands consecration. It demands thanksgiving. So when you talk about prayer, you're talking about a closeness which requires a bit of sacrifice from me. That when I build an altar to my God and begin to build this altar with a need in my heart, I say thank you to God. I begin to say thank you to him and build an atmosphere of altar worship towards him so that he will hear my prayer and answer my need. Now, this word here speaks very clearly to the idea of a personal conversation. So prayer, used in the word 127 times in the New Testament, is used as a place of decision, a place of consecration, uh, a place where an altar is built to make a vow unto God. In fact, the point of this consecration and this surrender is not just to get something from God. It's not just so that God will bless you. The purpose of prayer is that God will change you. 
Because when you come into the presence of God and you build an altar before the Lord and you have a need in your heart, the purpose isn't that he'll just answer your prayer request like a genie. No, the prayer request is that, God, I need this in my life, but God, my ultimate prayer is that I will be like you. And so we see in the scripture, it's not in your notes or not on the slides, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you're taking notes, you can write it down, 16 to 18. Whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is a spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect face-to-face the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. And so I wanted to lay a foundation for this word prayer for you because you need to understand that the word prayer used all throughout Scripture is a very sacred, holy moment. But sometimes with prayer, we tend to think, well, either A, I'm not good enough to pray, which is a big thing people deal with. They haven't fully embraced the fact that you've been forgiven, and we uh, need to be reminded that God sees us through the righteousness of Christ. But on the other hand, some of us don't pray because we don't realize the power of prayer. We don't realize what happens when we pray. We don't realize that when we pray, something supernatural happens. But here's what I want to push back on for a moment. When we read this phrase that we devote ourselves to prayer, we immediately read in our heart. And we see it all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the, the Gospels. When Jesus talked about prayer, we immediately read it as Paul or, or, or Luke here is writing about our personal devotional prayer life. We read it like when he says, okay, be faithful in prayer. We think, okay, it's time about prayer life. Be consistent in prayer. Be devoted to prayer. Pray, pray, pray. Do all these things for prayer. Yes, we immediately think that that, that, that the scripture is talking about our personal devotion life. We often think, okay, this scripture says, okay, devote yourself to reading your Bible and going to church and praying at home. That's what this is talking about. But I need to help you understand something here today that all the texts that were written From Luke in in the book of Acts, the Pauline writings, James, John, all throughout the New Testament, you have to understand something that when they talked about prayer, they were not writing that to you as an individual. They were writing that to a community called the church. When they wrote this letter, they were not saying, okay, you need to be devoted to prayer. They were saying, you need to be devoted to prayer. You need to understand something. That when we often read the Bible, we individualize what we're reading, which is good. We need to do that. But sometimes we miss the context of what's being said. What, Paul is, what Luke is saying here in this scripture, he isn't saying, okay, you personally need to devote yourself to prayers. He's saying we all need to devote ourselves to praying together. And this, I'll show you in scripture what this means. This was not written to a person. This was written about a community. He was not writing this as an individual, individual experience in prayer. He wasn't writing this about when you go home and you turn on your light in the morning, which is awesome, and you read your Bible and pray. He's not talking about you going on version Bible app and doing your devotional. That is not what this is about. Did you know that the Greek word here used, is, this is actually literally what the Greek word means in the scripture. It literally means a place or location of prayer. It's talking specifically, not necessarily about the activity of prayer, but where you are praying. He's saying all the believers must devote themselves to a place or location where there is prayer. The word also means worship. 
This word literally means that there is a, a devotion, a habitual, steadfast, obsessive commitment to the place of prayer and worship. I'll show you this. Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter uh, 21, verse 13. It's written, and he said to them, my house. Whose house? God's house. My house will be called a house of prayer. Well, what was he talking about? Well, he was talking about the temple. Acts 1.14, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Acts 2.1, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Acts 3.1, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. Acts chapter 4, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. And when they heard the report, all the believers, say all. all. Believers lifted their voices, say together. In prayer to God. Look at this, Acts 12, 5. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed earnestly for him. Acts 13. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, they were together praying. They fasted and they prayed to appoint Barnabas. So more after that, they did more fasting and more prayer. Acts uh, 16. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city, a riverbank, where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we see all throughout the book of Acts, in all throughout the, the, the Pauline epistles, the book of James, the book of John, we often read these scriptures and think, he's just talking about me when he's not. He's talking about us. And the reason I wanted to lean into this today is because I believe that one of the ways we can see supernatural move of God in our church is through being present together to pray as a church, to worship as a church. That word, uh, the prosuke, literally means to pray and to worship in the place of worship and prayer. That when we gather together on a Sunday and when we gather together on our pursue night or you go to your group and you begin to pray, God begins to do something supernatural. And I want you to notice something. And I'm going to say this lightly, but honestly. You'll notice throughout Scripture, every single time we talk about this moment of prayer, it talks about those who were present. Those who were present were filled with the Holy Spirit. Those who were present experienced that miracle. Those who were present. Now, I'm not trying to rag on you today and make you feel bad. I want to encourage you to help you understand something. That I believe that the enemy has been on assignment with churches across North America to keep the church from praying. Because this was a spiritual discipline that the early church did. And some of the greatest moves of God that we see throughout Scripture didn't come through Paul praying by himself. It came through Paul and James and Peter and the disciples and the women and the men and the children coming to the house of God and the location of prayer. We're not in the upper room. We're in the lower room. And they gathered together and they began to pray. And supernatural signs and wonders began to happen in that church. Remember what happened when all the believers gathered together in Acts chapter 2? It says that they were together. They were praying and worshiping. What happened? The Holy Spirit came down, and that was the day that the church of Jesus Christ began. We have everything that we experience today from one moment. Guess what it was? A prayer meeting. A moment where they gathered at the house of God. Well, Ryan, we don't need to go to church anymore. Well, you're missing out 
on what the Bible teaches about the ecclesia. Because yes, we do need to gather together. Why? There is something powerful when followers of Jesus get in the room and sing holy, holy, holy to God and begin to pray and worship. God does signs and wonders in their midst. It doesn't come through just going to a conference, and it doesn't just come through reading a good book, and it doesn't just come through you being by yourself in Starbucks reading the next greatest hot top bestseller written by some great Christian. You know where it comes from? Being in the house of God, studying the word of God, exalting the name of Jesus and making it all about him. God will do something. And I believe I'm prophesying to some of you here today. Some of you have experienced this in the past. You got burned and hurt after the fact, and you've been keeping yourself from stepping back into that environment. I want to prophesy to you today there is freedom in your life and God has a plan for you in the house of God we look all throughout scripture Acts chapter 2 the Holy Spirit came down (laughs) and he moved and that's why we have the church today we see in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were arrested for preaching the name of Jesus. They, they, they healed a young man on the, on the Sabbath. And as they walked into the, 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 the temple, the church, people were dancing and saying, Hallelujah! I thank God. God is good. Come on now. God is good. He healed this person's life. And everyone just started dancing, you know, doing their thing. Everyone's having a good time. And the religious people were like, What are you doing? Stop dancing. They arrested these guys. And it says in the scripture that as they were there, or, or, sorry, wrong verse. It says, Everyone... Uh, And everyone present was after that time. I'm sorry. They begin to pray and they begin to ask God. And Peter and John were released from prison. And look what it says. And everyone what? Present. Was filled with the Holy Spirit. We have a generation today that says church is not important. We have a generation today that says, oh, we don't need to gather for prayer. We have a generation today. We have a, a narrative across churches today that are beginning to teach us that we can just all go online, which we want to do online. And we think it's awesome. And we're going to continue to do it. And we're going to build our online community. I've got a lot of folks who are online. And we love you. But I want to say today, there's something about being present. Something about being present. Look what happened. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. We're filled with the power of God. Acts chapter 12. Again, he was taken into prison. Peter had preached the gospel. And it says in the scripture that the, the, the believers begin to lift their voices in prayer. And after they begin to do this, it says, look, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 12, 5. They begin to pray when Peter went into jail again. And it says that an angel of the Lord came to Peter. I love this. It says it struck him in the side. And Peter got up and he said, Put on your shirt. So was he naked? I don't know what's going on. Put on your clothes. Okay. <laughs> Peter's wearing his skivvies. He puts on his clothes. Put on your shoes. He says, okay. Put on your coat. Okay. Follow me. Okay. He walks out of prison, walks past the angels, walks to the iron gate. The iron gate opens on its own. You say, Ryan, why did this all happen? Because the church was praying very earnestly for him. They walked up to the door. Peter went to the, the church and knocked on the door, and a girl named Rhoda came in and said, oh, my gosh, it's Peter's, it's Peter's ghost. And they ran back in and said, Peter's at the door. And they said, no, you're hallucinating. It's just not possible. There's no way. That is definitely not Peter. And then he knocked again and knocked again. They went out and opened the door, and there's Peter standing there. I've been delivered from prison. Why? Because the church prayed very earnestly for him. All throughout the Scripture, we see that when the followers of Jesus would gather together, God would move in a mighty way, and you want to know what something happens in our church. You want to know what's happened over the five years that we've gathered together and prayed? We were just uh, four weeks ago without a building. We were given six weeks to get out. I don't know about you. This is a pretty, we, God has blessed us in this place. 
I pay almost the same as we paid at the last place. And we have it seven days a week. God answered our prayer. And we're believing for a future permanent facility. We're saving for it and going through the process for it. Come on, what about this? Marriages were restored. Come on, Joel and Catherine. Joel and Catherine renewed their vows last year. And I'm just going to tell you a story a little bit. They struggled for the first five years in their marriage. And we married and we did pyramidal counseling. I obviously didn't do very good. You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> they have a child, Luca. You want to know where that happened? We prayed for them. We gathered together and prayed for them. We have marriages in this room that have been restored. And I know that there are many other marriages that have been renewed in this place. I know our friend Andrew was restored from alcohol in the very presence of God. And their marriage was restored. I know my marriage was restored in prayer. Come on, addiction's broken off. I know our friend Shelly, addiction was broken off of her life. And I had addiction broken off my life. Andrew, addiction off his life. Many of us had addictions broken off of our lives. I remember when Amanda came to me and she said, I bought this brand new horoscope book. And I was standing in prayer and she said, the Lord convicted you and you went home and you took it and you threw it in the garbage. He said, no more for me. And the man experienced transformation in her life. Come on. We've seen jobs. Courtney got two jobs and she was praying for one job. And now we're just praying for a husband. Hello, Yinka. And Kene, Yinka got an amazing job when he first moved here. And Yinka and Kene, we prayed for them. We prayed, 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 prayed. And guess what happened? Yinka got an incredible job. And Yinka and Kene moved into a beautiful home. And we see that uh, Andrew got an amazing job in this last season as well. And Amanda just got a new job in this last season. And Yunstein just got a new job and then another new job. And Marley got a new job. And we prayed. House is being provided. Mark and Anna got a house. Yinka and Kene got a house. The Van Adventures got a house. Lindsay got a house. We all... We prayed for these things in the house of God. And God answered our prayer. We saw miracles. Little Maddie, Maddie Paul, was, we were praying for her to be safe when there were some complications going on. And we prayed, and she was restored. Joel and Catherine, man, she had the longest pregnancy of anyone I've ever met. We were praying, come on, God, do a miracle. And God did that miracle. Come on, we saw Marielle's baby. They, they remember they called us, and Josh and I were together. And we began to speak in tongues. And we began to ask God to move in a mighty way. And we began to pray together. And guess what? She was healed, and Theo was completely healthy in all of his body. Come on, we, had, we, saw, we saw so many beautiful things. My wife, I think my wife had cancer in her body the doctor said you've had low white blood cell counts for a year they said we're very concerned you got a lump on your side there was a prophetic word four years ago where they said don't worry daughter this won't end in death hello she began to believe there's something wrong with my body and our church began to pray and guess what she went back her white blood sounds white blood cell counts are perfect she's not sick at all there's nothing wrong in her body come on we had dale here today is dale here come on dale was dying of covid he was in a he was in a coma he, he was, had to turn him over every 12 hours. And I remember we gathered on the phone and began to prophesy over Dale and pray. And guess what? Dale is healthy and he's sitting here today. I want to encourage you today. If you want to serve God and you want to do this whole like religious church thing, this ain't the church for you. We are here to see signs and wonders and miracles and marriages restored. And how do we see that happen? Is we habitually, obsessively devote ourselves to being in an environment of prayer. Now let me tell you something. Prayer meetings sometimes just suck. I don't know how many times I've thought to myself, this is the last thing that I want to do. I pray every 6 a.m. with our leaders. Do you know what I say before? I don't want to go. I'm supposed to be leading it. Every pursuit night, I'm like, oh, man, this is brutal. I don't want to do this. 
I'm just letting you off the hook. I hate prayer meetings. You know what else happens? Weird stuff sometimes happens. I remember one time I was in a prayer meeting. I was on the floor crying, just having a moment with God, and a lady came up to me, and she said, can I hold you? I didn't know who she was, but I was, in the, I was just in the moment. I was like, sure. This wasn't here. Don't worry. It's a long time ago. It's like 15 years ago, and she just grabbed me by the bum, pulled me up into her lap, and it was really weird. You're like, oh, this is weird. Yes. We fight very hard in our church to be balanced and healthy, to make sure that we don't allow weird things like that to happen. If someone in the church has to hold you, I did not send them. You need to tell them to go away. <laughs> you think I'm the only one? Am I the only one who doesn't like to go to a prayer meeting? Come on. I know you don't because a lot of you don't come. Oh, snap. Oh. Just kidding. Ah. <laughs> okay, we have three rhythms at our church. We gather on Sunday. We have our pursue night where we worship and we pray for the needs of the church. And we have groups. And the reason we keep it that simple is because you're busy people. We don't schedule anything on Fridays. We don't schedule anything on Saturdays. Our groups are only twice a month now. We have our grow nights coming up on Wednesday nights, which creates an opportunity for you to grow in your faith. We've got youth on Wednesday nights. We are trying to create a schedule where we can say, okay, guys, I want you to see the value and the power of prayer. You don't have to want to be here to be here. Don't you think the devil wants to keep you from reading about Jesus? Don't you think the devil wants to keep you in the dark instead of being in an intimate communal environment where you can be yourself, confess your needs, confess your wrongs, be together, be healed, be restored, and do life together? Don't you think the devil wants to keep you from the only place which Scripture teaches us where there is a power? Yeah, can the Holy Spirit move outside of the four walls of the church? Absolutely, and he absolutely does, but we are building a church where we are present in the house of God, where we gather together and believe maybe our God will do the impossible in our midst. Don't you want to be present when he does that? Don't you want to be in the room when God heals that body? Don't you want to be in that room when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? Don't you want to be in the room when God begins to see lives saved and hearts transformed? Don't you want to be present? Now, my intention here today is not to make you feel badly. My intention here today is to inspire you to remind you that we're a praying church. This scripture that Paul wrote, he wasn't talking to you. He was talking to us. I encourage you, pray on your own. Have a great devotion life. Yes, please. I'll encourage you in this next season. You want to generate spiritual momentum in your life? Make a, a obsessive, habitual devotion to studying the truth of God's word, to hearing God's word, and to yielding to God's word. Make a obsessive, habitual commitment to being in a group, even if it's not your thing, even if you don't like it. We have one on Monday night. We have one on Tuesday night. We have one on Thursday night. There's five or six groups going. Do not make an excuse. Get in a group. That is the place where body ministry happens. That's the way where prophetic ministry happens. That's where you have your needs. But you say, well, Ryan, no one loves me here. Get in a group, and everyone will love you. It'll be a little overwhelming, in fact. Like, why do you, like, meet all my needs and pay for my stuff and help me and take care of my kids and love me? And when I have a birthday, you celebrate. Why do you love me so much? Just because we love Jesus together and you're part of the community of God. Will you commit yourself habitually and obsessively to being in the house of God, gathering together in the location of prayer and the location of worship where we can see God move and we can reach this city? Why? Because, listen, life is short. Eternity is real. 
and people matter most. We are building a church because we want to help people know Jesus. There's a season where it's about you. That's okay. But eventually that has to shift. We say, okay, it's not just about me. It's about the people who need to know the Lord. And while I'm in the room praying is because I believe God's going to do supernatural things. He's going to bring lost people to the house of God. He's going to restore hearts and minds and transform lives. When I gather together and pray, God does something supernatural. Would you stand to your feet with me today? We're just going to sing just a, a reprise of this song. Come on, let me pray for you today. If you're in the house today, you're watching online, and um, you don't know the Lord, you'd like to be a part of that community that loves you and serve a God who cares for you. Come on, all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. So come on, if you're in the room right now or online, come on, if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, just put your hand in the air real quick. Just wave at me real quick and put it right back down. I won't call you forward, but I just want to see who you are. Anybody online or in the overflow room? We'd like to give someone every week the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ in their life. Amen. Come on, let me pray for you today. Father, we just say, Lord, thank you for your church, God. Lord, uh, humans have messed your church up. That's the problem. Not you and not your church. It's the people. So, Lord, we just put the people aside and the, the bad leaders aside and the bad mindsets aside and the religious ideas aside. We say, Lord, we want to go back to Acts 2. We want to go back to your word and say, God, will you move in our midst? Will you move, God? And will we be present when you do, God? Will you move in our hearts and our lives, God? We just need you, God, and we want to see our neighbors saved and our family members saved, God. And we want to be a part of a church, God, where you are present and you are moving in our midst. Lord, just encourage us and convict us, God, in this area. And Lord, as we just sing this last song together, we give you glory. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.